Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to be together. I was actually feeling really good until Brian mentioned 800 Sundays. Now I feel really old, really old. Um, I guess age is an attitude, right? It's really good. Hey, come back to me, though, when I was really young. I was 19 years old. Actually, I was 18 years old. And a fraternity brother had invited me on what would be my first ever mission trip. Uh, he was going, he said, my youth group is going to uh, Mexico over spring break to minister to the poor. Why don't you come with us? And that was actually my introduction to the covenant because his youth group was from Marin Covenant Church. So I'm like, I'm all in. This will be great. So I remember two things stood out from that experience. One was uh, the training involved. And as a young believer, I pushed back. I was way young and I just pushed back on my youth pastor. I'm like, I don't need that training because I had to drive two hours one way for training. And I'm like, I, I love people. And I'll never forget what my youth pastor told me. It's going to take more than love to make this trip a success. You need some tools in addition to your love. The second thing that stood out to me was the packing list. Because of the Mexican culture back in the 80s, we had to pack and not pack certain things to take across the border. And I'll never forget the one thing we had to pack was a Bible verse. It was the first time I had ever memorized scripture. He said, the youth pastor in the training, we had to memorize Philippians 2, 3 to 5. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Nothing. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset that Jesus had. In our training, as we memorize that verse, my youth pastor told me, you know what? The only way to live is with an others-oriented life focused on others and prioritizing them. So I was so excited. I remember the first time we, we gathered around for the first day to drive from Marin all the way to Mexico. And my youth pastor gathered us in the parking lot and he said, cup your hands. Everyone cup your hands. I'll have you participate in this. And he said, put all your rights into your hands. Everything you think you deserve on this trip. And so he said, you paid a lot of money to go to Mexico put them all in there. And then he did this, let him go. And he said, cause it's not about you. Well, I was all cute and we had an amazing road trip down. And then the first night we were getting ready to get in our tents and we were given tent selection. And the only person I knew of about 120 people on the trip, the only person I knew was in a different tent. I wasn't going to have that. So I went up to my youth pastor. I'm like, we got a problem. He said, what's your problem? I'm like, I'm not in the tent with Dave. That's the only person I know. And this is what he did. <laughs> it's not about you. And then we got ready for dinner. And I was next to like this high school freshman that was about half my weight. And I saw the portion they gave her for dinner. And I thought, I need a lot more than that. And I got the same portion of food. I said, can I have a little bit more? And the person serving the food did this. It's not about you. And then somehow I missed this in our training. 
it dawned on me that first night I was only going to get one shower the whole week. And I went up to my youth pastor and I said, uh, we got a problem. He says, what's your problem? I said, I shower every night. He says, not this week you don't. You get one shower. I'm like, no, no, I really need to get to a shower every night. And guess what he did? It's not about you. You know what I realized within 24 hours on that trip? I live with right privilege. I live thinking I deserved things to go my way. And my first 24 hours were miserable, miserable. And then somewhere midweek, I realized, you know what? I better live this way or this is going to be the worst week of my life. We're stepping into a series called Be the Bridge because our heart, and I told you this in the fall, is to equip everyone on in our church to live on this peninsula in a way with tools and the love to minister to the peninsula. To live in our city, which is 50% white and 50% non-white, to equip us to actually go to the people. We want to equip us to go into uh, our city in a country where for the first time this fall, more than half the students entering grammar schools this fall will be non-white. Be the Bridge is such an important series for us all. And while the fall, I knew this would need to be a priority. I really feel like this is a do or die issue for us as a church. I realize now I'm like Moses on Mount Nebo. I see the promised land. I just don't get to walk there with you. But you're going to go into that promised land long after me. I know for some of you, you're going, why are we even doing this series? Others of you are going, I'm so glad it is about time we do a series like this. Others of you are ambivalent. This series is going to stretch us all, but there is no growth without stretching. I have bragged about you for more than 24 years being a part of this community, and I know we can step into this series well and let go of our rights and surrender our biblical, uh, sorry, our political ideologies to our biblical convictions as we step into this series. So let's pray and we're going to dive in. I want to lay a foundation because this church was founded on this one question. Where is it written? I want to lay a foundation of why we're doing this. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to take up our cross if we identify as your followers and follow you. And so, Lord, we sang about it. Now we want to live it. We will build our life upon your love. Show us your love for all nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to go from Eden to eternity. So buckle your seatbelts. You ready for a ride? Here we go. Eden to eternity. Let's start at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When the first humans are introduced in the biblical narrative, they are called Adam, which means humankind, humankind, and Eve, which means life giver. Adam and Eve become the mother and father of the whole human race. 
They represent humans which are made in the Imago Dei. You see it in Genesis 1, 26 to 27. They are made in the image of God. Every human being, we will not set eyes on any human being who doesn't bear God's image. And you need to know that drives our ethics as a church. It always has. That no human being is more or less an image bearer of God than any other human being. We are all made in God's image, which is why from the womb to the tomb, we are for life at PCC. Unashamedly, for life means we care about every baby in a woman's uh, stomach. For life means we care about every life on this planet in every nation. It's why we pray for India and why we're, we are broken over what's going on in India because image bearers are dying. It's why we care about people on our own streets in Rabbit City, in the resourced areas of Rabbit City, in the under-resourced areas of Rabbit City. It's why we, we just go after people and we'll stop at nothing short of sin for people to understand that they are loved by God. We want to go to all peoples because all peoples were created, what? In the image of God, in equal. So you may wonder, well, what race were Adam and Eve? That's an easy question to answer. They are the human race. No, what skin color you say? Well, we don't know. The Bible's actually silent. If anything, genetics points to probably they had a darker skin. But most importantly, whatever pigment their skin reflected, they contained a God-designed DNA within them that would eventually grow into a multicolored family in a multicultural world, the world we embrace today. And, and science actually backs this. Do you know that we, our bodies have 3 billion genetic building blocks within us? It's called DNA. Of those 3 billion genetic building blocks, only a tiny amount are distinct. We share as a human race, you ready for this? Over 99% of the same DNA across the world. This is why the Apostle Paul, what he was referencing when in Mars Hill, he addressed a crowd of philosophers in Athens. He said, from one man, God made all nations. And whenever you read the word nations in the New Testament, it's not talking about geopolitical nations. It's talking about ethnicities. Literally, the word nations in the Greek New Testament is the word we get ethnicity from, ethnos. So Paul would say on Mars Hill in Athens, from one man, Adam, he made all nations that inhabit the whole earth. The bottom line, regardless of our color of skin, we all share the same DNA which is why everybody needs the same gospel. The gospel is for the whole world. Embracing that gospel, if you do, implants us with a brand new operating system, a new interior. The claim of Jesus is that through his spirit, he will fuel you with a supernatural love and supernatural vision. He'll send you to supernatural places like when you're a 18-year-old and all your fraternity brothers are going to the beach, you'll go to the Mexico to work with the poor following Jesus. And he'll implant you with a message of reconciliation that every human being needs to be reconciled to God. And don't miss this, 2 Corinthians 5.18, and reconciled to each other. 
The Bible doesn't ever display followers of Christ unreconciled. It urges us for horizontal reconciliation. So it just makes sense if we're going to be called the Peninsula Covenant Church and half our peninsula is non-white, that we would spend time getting tooled up to minister to the non-white population. Because it's going to take way more than love to reach the peninsula. Or we change our name to the Farm Hill Covenant Church. I don't think anybody wants that. This radically unique orientation of new eyes, new heart, human reconciliation distinguishes followers in the racial conversation, which is all over the news and has been for years, decades. Every follower in Jesus of Jesus' New Testament models this supernatural unity that transcends race, ethnicity, culture, class, gender. You need to know in the first three centuries of the church, going from a small sect of Jews that met in the temple daily to in three centuries overtaking the Roman Empire, what did that? There's a number of factors that missiologists and historians look to, but one of the key factors was the supernatural unity that took place in the Roman Empire as the church gathered, where followers of Christ literally would break through walls and come together as different races and different classes. And for a worship service, they would gather around a cross and worship and be on equal ground. You know this verse in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Paul told a church in a city called Galatia, there's neither Jew nor Gentile in your church. That's racial divisions. There's neither slave nor free. Those are class divisions. There's neither male nor female. Those are gender divisions. You are all one. One in Christ Jesus. Paul reaches for the word and asks, what will distinguish the church? He takes the same word that God used in Genesis 1 to describe himself, one. The Trinity is one. And Paul says, that's the kind of unity that should mark the church. Sadly, this year, so many of us have witnessed followers of Christ subvert their biblical convictions to their politics. To the point where I can't tell you how many emails or text messages I've gotten, even in doing this series, we shouldn't be political. To which my response is, if this is a national conversation, as your pastor, why wouldn't I equip you with the gospel message and the biblical convictions to enter into this conversation from a unique perspective? I know as a dad, I don't want my daughters to enter into any conversation outside our house that I haven't prepared them for, from a unique biblical perspective. My daughters, most of them went to Clifford School, some went to Roy Cloud. We love Clifford School. We love Roy Cloud. There's a segment there where they teach sex education, and it doesn't align with our convictions as a family. Do I stay silent? Does my wife stay silent in those cases? Absolutely not. We equip our girls with God's standard for sexuality so that they see God's standards for human flourishing. 
so that when they hear things outside our home, they can counterbalance them with what they've heard in our home from God's word. As your pastor, I cannot face God one day, and I will, and give an account for 24 years here, and not address this issue. I will not have taught you the whole counsel of God if we didn't talk about this, because it's all over the scriptures. If we were just about us, that'd be no problem, but we are never about us. We are on mission, church. Redwood City is our mission. The peninsula is our mission. And just like I was equipped for a week to go to Mexico, I've got to equip you and the staff, it's not just me, we've got to equip you to live on mission so we can look on earth as it is in heaven and can engage in the ministry of reconciliation. Someone please say amen. Amen. Okay. So the Old Testament lays it out. God starts with Abram and says, I'm going to bless you to be a father of all ethnicities, of all nations. And it goes on and on and on. And then we have Jesus, who never lived with rights privilege. Isn't that what Philippians 2 says? Jesus relinquished his rights. He had every right as God. And he relinquished his rights to come to earth. His public ministry was primarily focused on his fellow Jews. But time and again, he built bridges to those outside of Israel, to the confusion and the outrage of his religious community. Jesus validated a Roman centurion, a Syrophoenician woman. He heals 10 lepers, and only one, a Samaritan, comes back, and he validates the Samaritan's faith. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 5, it says he had to go to Samaria on a trade route most Jews avoided because they hated the Samaritans. But Jesus had to go because he wanted Samaritans in the kingdom of God. And so he went where most religious people wouldn't go. And then when he died and rose again, he gathers his closest disciples in Matthew 28 and he says this, we're going international with this. We're not just going to be a Jewish sect. I am the Messiah for the Jews But my dream from day one, back to Genesis 12 and Abraham, has been that the Jews would be a blessing to every ethnicity. So he says in Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all what? Nations. All ethnicities. Friends, this is called the Great Commission. It's not the Great suggestion. Jesus said, my dream for the church is that they would make disciples of every ethnicity. And churches that make disciples of all nations are made up of people who have a heart for every ethnicity. And I simply, with zero judgment, want to ask you, do you have that heart? Do you have a heart for people other than you to come to know Christ? Do you have a heart for people other than you to experience the kingdom of God? Do you have a heart for people other than you to experience the blessing, to be able to worship and know the God of the universe like you do? To understand they are no longer under God's wrath, but through Christ 
can actually be called a child of God. Literally, John 1, 4, uh, 12, adopted into his family. Jesus said, make disciples of the nations. Humbly, I want to ask you to audit your life right now. Are you living into that mandate? It is the great commission. This church is committed to it, to the point where we've adopted uh, an unreached people group, the Taposa tribe. But again, great commission churches are made up of great commission individuals. Do you have a heart for people other than you? All ethnicities. That leads to the church. When the Spirit was poured out on the first day of the church, it's called Pentecost, it was in the context of an international festival taking place in Jerusalem. Jesus told his disciples after this commission, go into Jerusalem and wait. I will give you the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to wait for the perfect time. And the perfect time in God's economy was when an international festival was taking place in Jerusalem. Jews from all over the known world were there, from Turkey, from Africa, from Rome. They all came back to Jerusalem and the spirit was poured out. And Peter comes out of the upper room, and in Acts chapter 2, he preached to people. In Acts 2, 5, it says, from every ethnicity under heaven. On this birthday of the church is a gift, 3,000 people come to Christ. And here's what happens. They don't go home. (laughs) They don't go back to Turkey. They don't go back to Africa. They don't go back to Rome. They don't go back to Iran or Iraq. They stay in Jerusalem and the church has a problem. I mean, you think we have a giving problem? And we do. They had a huge problem. They had 3,000 people to take care of. What did they do? Acts tells us, verse 42, these first Christians devoted themselves. The word means to persist, to persevere, to the apostles' teaching. Here's the word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. We're going to do that in a minute. And to prayer. They were selling their possessions, sharing their money with anyone who had need. They were worshiping together and eating together. And here's the key phrase, in each other's homes. The dream of a multi-ethnic church is not that we would gather as different people of ethnicities on a Sunday. Redwood City does that, folks. Go to concert in the park. Go to concert in the square. You could see that. The dream is that we would gather together in the homes. We'd have a relationship with each other. We would drop our rights and embrace each other as the Imago Day, and share fellowship together. So the church did that, and they loved doing that. But as what happens in the church, every church deals with this problem, including us, they turned inward. And God said, wait a second, I didn't bring the world to Jerusalem to stay in Jerusalem. I brought the world to Jerusalem to go to the world. So Acts chapter 8, a martyrdom happens. And the church scatters. And the good news of the kingdom starts going out to every ethnicity. And we read a story in Acts 8 of an Ethiopian reading Isaiah 53. And Philip coming up to his chariot and him being baptized as he came to Christ. And all over the known world, the gospel spreads. To the point in Acts chapter 10, 
where it says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Just look at that, 1034, Acts 1034. Truly I understand God shows no what? Partiality. In your heart is there partiality. In your heart is there any sense, if you're a follower of Christ, of prejudging others? In your heart, is there rights, privilege that you live with where you feel like you deserve certain things? It goes on. Truly, I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. In every ethnicity, anyone who fears him, every ethnicity, Anyone is acceptable to Christ. PCC, do you think there's anyone in this city in God's eyes who is not acceptable to him? Absolutely not. How will everyone in the city know that good news unless we're sent to them? And how will we go unless we acquire the tools and drop our rights and humbly walk into a city that desperately needs to know that Jesus loves them? This is a huge conversation in the city. I've been a part of it. Why isn't the church at the table more? And why isn't the city in our country looking to the church because we have the love of Jesus and the new operating system, the heart of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus. Why aren't we acting on that more? I, I don't have time to go into eternity, but in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 10, we see a glimpse of eternity. And that word nations comes up again. People from every nation around the throne room of Jesus worshiping him. We see from Eden to eternity, God's heart for every ethnicity. And my question is for us, why wouldn't we want to grow our hearts to look more like Jesus in that area? I'm not assuming you don't. But I'm asking, why wouldn't we prioritize the next seven weeks? Why wouldn't we jump into a group and read a book that'll stretch us all. I, I don't agree with everything in the book, but I am grateful for that book because it drips with scripture. And I just tell people, chew the meat, spit out the bones. Our greatest missiologist that I know is on our staff. Her name's Sharon Seberger. And she just says, keep turning the pages, keep reading, because this book has something for us at PCC. My goal this morning was for us to understand it's going to take more than love to reach the city. And I'm calling us to be the Peninsula Covenant Church to a peninsula that is 50% non-white. I'm calling us to drop our rights and humbly learn and ask the Spirit of God what he has for us in this conversation so that we could be what God had in mind when he created Peninsula Covenant Church, a church that we are today without borders, without walls, centered on the cross, 
where anyone can come and feel like they're among family. It's going to take more than love to become that church. I'm ready to become that church more and more. How about you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you now, and it's just appropriate right now that we would step into communion. So appropriate, Lord, that we would focus, Jesus, on how you completely relinquish your rights again and again and again. You can find yourself to being human, and then you can find yourself to being ridiculed, and you can find yourself to being beaten, and you can find yourself to being crucified. You relinquish your rights so that we could have life. Lord Jesus, what if these next seven weeks we relinquished our rights? What if we embraced your heart for all peoples? What if, Lord, we became the unstoppable force you had in mind when you said, on this confession, I'll build my church? What if we became the church the city looked to around this conversation and said, I don't, I don't even agree with what they believe in up there, but they're doing something right. Make it so, Lord. Make it so. So church, while your head's bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to know Jesus loves you. Jesus came so that you could be accepted by God. You don't need to fear his condemnation. If you've never given your life to Christ, today could be your day where you say yes. Yes, I'm tired of doing it my way. Yes, I have rebelled against your principles for human flourishing. Yes, I, I, I turn to you. I want to do life your way. Jesus, step into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. If you identify as a follower of Christ, I would ask that you this week ask the Spirit of God to identify in you where your rights conflict with God's kingdom work in you. Where are you being influenced by social media or media or politics more than the scriptures? Not against social media, not against media, not even against politics, believe it or not. But I'm about PCC being filled with followers of Jesus who live by where is it written and deconstruct their life because of the scriptures. Lord, you're inviting us into a journey as a church. We fully embrace that journey. Jesus, lead us. Lead us as a church. Pray this in Christ's name. Everyone said. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.